Good morning. This Sunday, as we celebrate Martin Luther King holiday tomorrow and prepare ourselves, I think about the many beautiful words that so many of us know from Dr. King. My favorite work of his, though, is a book called Stride Toward Freedom, which is more like an organizing manual than anything else. The words are still beautiful, um, but they describe the work that went into uh, the Montgomery bus boycott in particular and into uh, his life's work. And so I share with you some of his words from that book, Stride Toward Freedom. Here he is reflecting on where the movement has to go after the successful boycott. History has thrust upon our generation an indescribably important destiny to complete a process of democratization which our nation has too long developed too slowly, but which is our most powerful weapon for world respect and emulation. How we deal with this crucial, crucial situation will determine our moral health as individuals, our cultural health as a region, our political health as a nation, and our prestige as a leader of the free world. The future of America is bound up with the solution of the present crisis. A solution of the present crisis will not take place unless men and women work for it. Human progress is neither automatic nor inevitable. Even a superficial look at history reveals that no social advance rolls in on the wheels of inevitability. Every step toward the goal of justice requires sacrifice, suffering, and struggle the tireless exertions and passionate concern of dedicated individuals. Without persistent effort, time itself becomes an ally of the insurgent and primitive forces of irrational emotionalism and social destruction. This is no time for apathy or complacency. This is a time for vigorous and positive action. With those words of charge in our mind, I invite you to sing our opening song, which asks us also for action and invites us to take that action piece by piece.
Welcome to the Washington Ethical Society this morning. I am Amanda Poppy, the senior leader here. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I am so glad you are with us this morning, whether you're in the room or you are joining us on Facebook. Visitors and guests, we hope that you got a blue name tag so that we can especially welcome you and answer any questions that you might have. We enjoy talking about what we have found here, but we are most eager to hear what it is that you are looking for. We hope you'll join us after the platform service for coffee and cookies in the lobby and in the social hall this morning. And even consider coming back at one o'clock for our monthly lunch called Schmooza Palooza, a chance to uh, have a bite and connect with other folks in the community. We also hope that you'll share your email with us in the yellow form that you'll find inside your program. You can drop that in the collection basket and it helps us to stay in touch with you and let you know what's going on here in our community. I'd like to remind you to silence your electronic devices this morning, anything that beeps or buzzes, so that you may be fully present. While you've got them out, you might as well check in on social media and let everybody know that you're here. And now I'd like to invite Karen Schofield-Lika to um, read our statement of purpose this morning. Karen is part of our anti-racism, anti-oppression, multicultural assessment team. That's, I think, the longest named team in our history. And um, the assessment team really is working to check in with the community as a whole to see how we are engaging in anti-oppression work here, how we wish to engage in that work. And um, part of that work uh, that they're doing are a series of small group conversations in the first one thanks to last Sunday's snow, is this Sunday at 1 o'clock. So I invite you to come back and join for that as well. The Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith in human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. We invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders. As Karen lights our community candle, I invite you to join me in our candlelighting words. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. Thank you, Karen. Each week we ring this chime in solidarity with people around the world. Today, I am particularly holding in my heart all those who were victims in this last week of terrorism in Nairobi and in Syria, and those who are and have been victims of bigotry in the United States, in particular, thinking about our Native American elders at the end of the Indigenous Peoples March here in DC on the National Mall. As we listen to this chime, let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us.
Let us hold in our hearts all that hurts in the world. And let us commit ourselves to all that calls for our work and our love. I invite you now to settle into a time of deeper meditation. Find a comfortable way to sit in your chair. Close your eyes if you'd like or focus on the floor in front of you. And take a breath in and out. In and out. Dr. King wrote that all are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. As we hold in our hearts those experiencing terror and fear and violence, around the world, in this country, in this city, in our own community. We imagine that garment of destiny. Its threads connecting each one of us to every other. Imagine for a moment shining, shimmering threads weaving through this room, making their way down to our children, out through the neighborhood and the city, across this country, Hold in your mind and heart those threads, that garment. And in that holding, breathe in and out together.
Horace, thank you so much for that beautiful piece, which actually is a wonderful introduction in some ways to our platform speaker. Um, we are so delighted to have April Renee Goggins with us, and I occasionally wonder if April is indeed one person, based on the um, many places I see her and hear about her work, the powerhouse organizing that she does. April um, is an organizer with Black Lives Matter DC, and in particular, within that, her portfolio of organization is with Keep DC For Me. Um, I, Often when I'm wondering sort of what folks think about an issue in DC, a political question that's come up or a question about how our neighborhoods are treated and respected, I will look and see, gosh, I wonder what April is saying about that. So she is one of my sources uh, for knowledge and wisdom. Um, and as it happens, she actually also knows an organizer with Black Lives of Unitarian Universalism, a Leslie Mack, who um, I went to high school with. I don't know if you knew that, yeah. <laughs> um, she was a few years older than I and um, already quite an organizer, and so I was the freshman in awe. Um, so, uh, so I get to have this kind of fun side connection as well. We are delighted to have you with us this morning. Thank you so much, and uh, take it away. Well, thank you. I uh, often hear about West, but I've never actually been here. Um, so I'm really happy this morning to be here. Um, so yesterday I spoke at the Women's March, and it was like this big, huge thing for me to write things down because I usually don't, but I did, and it like went really long. So, um, but I always promise my mom that I'll at least write something down. So, um, but I decided today not to like right word for word, because there's just been so many things going on that I feel like I haven't had the time to just like reflect. Um, because I'm always thinking so much about like what needs to be done. I just have an encyclopedia of everything that's happened in DC, especially around policing and community violence for the last two years. It's just like a running encyclopedia and list in my head. So um, I really wanted to take time to like reflect and um, feel a little bit more about um, what that looks like. Um, and so it took me a really long time, Amanda knows, to come up with a topic for tonight, for today. And um, I chose Justice Before Peace, uh, Reclaiming Radical King, The Facade of Reconciliation, and The Rise of Chocolate City. Um, and those, I think, um, represent like a lot of what I've been feeling lately, a lot of what I've been seeing. Um, and I wanted to put words to it um, and just kind of talk about things that are more personal than um, specifically, you know, stats, politicians' names, how about I can embarrass them, all of those things. Um, so I'll start by reading um, a quote by MLK um, that kind of sums it up um, as far as setting the tone for this. Um, I don't want peace. If peace means accepting second-class citizenship, I don't want it. If peace means keeping my mouth shut in the midst of injustice and evil, I don't want it. If peace means being complacently adjusted to a deadening status quo, I don't want peace. If peace means a willingness to be exploited economically, dominated politically, humiliated and segregated, I don't want peace. So in a passive, nonviolent manner, we must revolt against this peace. Um, and I find that a lot of times I'm 
I will say to people, words mean things. Um, because I think so often we say things and we're not really thinking about like, what does that mean? What is the impact? Um, but I think words mean things that sometimes we don't mean them to mean. Sometimes we do, but didn't mean to say it like that. <laughs> um, but for me, it really, you know, it really puts together um, some really important pieces. The first is in reclaiming the radical MLK, right? In his time, everything he said was radical. Everything he did was radical. Um, we tend to feel today that like, oh, that wasn't, he was so passive and just, um, you know, turn the other cheek, all of these things we thought, why would he stand there when the hoses were, <clears throat> when hoses were um, blazing against them or dogs were chewing on folks? And <clears throat> he stopped and think that in here he says, in a nonviolent manner, we must revolt against that peace. So in talking about Martin Luther King, it's, a, it's important to understand what it means to be radical, right? Um, I know for me, it was always something that was, I was born and raised in Colorado. Um, and so being called a radical militant was really, really negative. It was really like you're off the deep end, like almost, it, it uh, takes away your credibility, basically. Um, and to say that walking a radical path sometimes means you're walking the right path. Um, because the status quo, in times of injustice, in times of darkness, in times of political strife, um, needs to be the path that we walk. And to revolt against peace, if you just think about that, to revolt against that peace, is to really say, like, when we talk about peace, what are we talking about? Are we covering up, like, the deep sense of injustice, oppression, like, the very real feelings that people whose children are taken from them feel? The rare, very real feelings that people in D.C. feel when eight out of 10 people stopped and frisked in D.C. are black. We still only make up 47% of the population here. I live east of the river, which means that all of the women around me who are pregnant, thinking about having children, um, or recently had children, have no maternity and delivery services east of the river because they shut them down at the only hospital that we had. Um, and so when you think about coming into the world already lacking the very value of not just your life, but the life of the person who's giving you life, you start thinking that, so when he's talking about revolting against that piece, about against that status quo, that yes, it has to be a revolt. It can't be a talking down. It can't be a let's change our mind. It can't always be dialogue. Sometimes you just have to revolt. Um, and so I, it reminds me that tomorrow we're going to hear I have a dream like a million times, a million times. Like growing up, I never thought he said anything else, <laughs> to be honest. I just was like, people would be like, what did Martin Luther King teach us? And I was very proud of myself at 10 that I could say most of that speech by heart. So it wasn't until I was older that I realized that's not even the whole speech. Most people have never heard the whole speech. 
um, due to like copyright, which actually was trying to he was trying to protect and people around him protect his work from being exploited. There's parts of that speech that you can't find anywhere. Um, and uh, interestingly enough, it's the parts about police brutality, um, where he says the Negro cannot be satisfied. You know, when still experiencing like the viciousness of police brutality, right? And so to forget about that um, is to do a really big disservice, not only to the history of this country, the current state of this country, to DC, um, but also to the legacy of King, right? I think we feel more comfortable as well when we feel like we're following someone who, yeah, he was a little radical, but he also wanted us to just love each other and just hold each other and just do all of these things. Well, that's the sanitized version of King, right? That when we look at somebody who put everything, everything on the line, like we have to take that extra step and say like, what are we doing? Like, what are we really doing? I recently went to um, South Africa. I went to, not really, I went to Cape Town, but we stayed in Stellenbosch. Anybody ever been or heard of Stellenbosch? Okay, so Stellenbosch, uh, we was at the university there. And we were just so excited, like all of us were from the United States. None of us had really ever been to the continent, which is like a huge thing. I remember landing at some, I don't know, ridiculous time, like at 4.30 in the morning, and looking out the window as we descended in the plane, looking out the window and realizing, oh my gosh, like my soul is returning to this place, like outside of whatever that means for everybody. I just felt like a part of me was coming back, that coming back over the Atlantic Ocean and looking outside, I looked around, like is it just me? No, all of the African-American folks, it's just tears. Um, and it was amazing. And so we started our, I started my trip like, wow, we are in this place where the people look like us, like everywhere. You're like, okay, so check, that part's, that part's true. Um, <laughs> and then we're like, okay, I gotta get to the hotel. It was, I hadn't had my suitcase in a week because I had gone to Paris before that and I just had the same clothes on for like a week. So I was really wanting to get to this Stellenbach place and change clothes and like take a shower and everything. Um, still didn't have my luggage though. Um, and the next morning we got up, my, my co coworkers or co-conspirators co were already there. And I woke up and I look outside, and I'm like, okay, we'll walk to the university. And all I remember was seeing white. I'm from Colorado, so I'm not even talking about the people. <laughs> Everything in Stellenbosch is white. Most of the cars are white. All the fences are white. All of the buildings are white. Um, and there's this deep, deep sense of, we didn't, we couldn't name it at the time, 
it's a depressing, you know, we think of white places, like, you know, they'll tell you if you make a white room, it looks, oh, you know, makes, makes it look more open. Um, but I've never seen white feel so oppressive. Um, and being that close to Cape Town, not seeing black people, except for in the service, not even just service, the service that you don't see up front. So um, not necessarily the people at the desk, not necessarily people who um, were taking your money at the bank, you know, it was interesting. Um, and then we went to this, we were at a conference. It was on recognition, reconciliation, and reparations. And that's why we had gone. So we were like, this is amazing. What, where, what better place in South Africa to go? And we get there, and there are like five black people. This is an international conference. Five black people. And we were like, so, and I was like, okay, it's academia, but all of us have like advanced degrees, okay, cool, used to that, but also no. Like, we're in South Africa talking about reconciliation, reparations, knowing that most places haven't gone, you know, that far and through that big of a change um, to be able to come and learn and listen um, to people. And it was about people talking about, you know, terrible oppression and, um, war stories and all of that, but none of the people were the people who went through those things. They were all people who had studied those things. And it was insanely enraging, insanely. So all of us were also from various Black Lives Matter chapters, so of course we had to shut the conference down. Like I just, <laughs> my brother was like, really here though guys and like yeah like you that's that revolt against peace right like everybody's like hey we got so far you know I'm really I really feel these people and here's what I've learned about language and how they talk about their oppression and what nah no no and as we sat and talked we said oh my gosh we just have to have like all black space we are african-american so black is very Understandable. When we say black, we know what we're talking about. Yeah, so white supremacy doesn't work that way everywhere. So in Africa, they have black people and have colored people. So there's this, there was this whole discussion in four hours of who are we, who is allowed to come and, and be in that space because the black South Africans were like, nah, colored people have to come with us. And so this a lot of times meant people who were um, uh, of Indian descent, uh, from India, uh, Pakistan, of, like different people who are not white, clearly not white, in their, I would say self-identification too, because there was a whole nother group of people who were like kind of black, white, kind of black, white passing, who like fit into a whole nother thing. So that, 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 that was a thing. Um, and we all had to go, we all went and sat in this healing, this healing circle and it was amazing. Because the other thing that we're told a lot of times is that like, we're not actually accepted back on the continent because the way that white supremacy works in colonization is that like slaves didn't actually go back to Africa and be like, oh, this is what happened <laughs> when we left. This is what it looked like. Um, so it's kind of like, mm, y'all aren't African because y'all are from there, like America, North America, Africa. 
Um, but we got in there and we sang and we danced and it was so amazing. This is how we learned that the students of that university, there were, they were on TV not too long ago, um, about two years, year ago, doing all the protests about, um, just a lot of stuff about their, their university. And it was in that time that a professor said, you know, this is not new to us. They were like, you are sitting in the university where apartheid was probably thought of. And we started thinking, we're like, you know what? Apartheid is like in the soil here. When you're walking, you feel it. There's no coincidence that everything there is white. They're like, it is intentional. It is absolutely intentional. So when you're walking down the street and everybody has a barbed wire fence above those white fences, they're like, oh yeah, that happened when Mandela got out. And we, because we didn't want them not to come in and think that this was theirs. Um, and I say, is that like really reconciliation? Did we, did we do this? Is this, it's like, dang, because we're thinking as African-Americans, like we've been fighting for reparations here for a long time. All we want America to do is apologize. Just, I guess Clinton did it. I don't know if anybody remembers. I think he said something. But um, is that reconciliation? Like what are we asking for? And so in this conference, everybody's talking about reconciliation. We reconciled. People got to talk about, you know, some of these people were just following orders, and some of the people got to talk to people who, who uh, killed their family members or all of those things. We, we've reconciled. And then one of the students said, nah, but they still walk among us. There was no jail. There was no, not, I'm an abolitionist, so it's not like I believe that would work. But, you know, there was no actual, like, justice. There was no justice. So imagine years and years of apartheid. Now, if you don't, I can't go all the way into apartheid. I'm still dealing with that trauma. But if you think about years and years and years of that, then you get what it is you want. Mandela's out. Apartheid is over. Um, all of these things. And then, but you can walk down, you can go to the store, and the person who, hmm, I remember when he came to my house. Yeah. It was the last time I saw my mom. Like, you know, and the people are among us. Um, and then on the way back and forth to, to um, Cape Town, what you would see is, you still see the, um, just the mile, I mean, when I say miles, I mean like 20 miles of townships still. Everybody still lives there. We still live there. <laughs> like, we were like, wait. In our minds, they had all been demolished. I don't know what we thought. We thought everybody was cool. And so what we decided, and all, I don't know, 10 of us decided, so we went to South Korea last year, and we got, we were with the workers, so we got, this says Tujang, it's like support or like struggle. And so here, we all got justice before peace. Because what we realized before we left was that, yeah, we can't do it that way. That's how they did it. They said, we're going to do, we're going to secure peace. Then we're going to talk about justice. And you can't do that. There has to be justice, right? There has to be a revolt against the urge to want to make everything peaceful, right? Like, that's not actually the next step. It's not actually the next step in the country that we live in and all of the things that we're watching and happening to people. It's not actually the next step when we look at international 
issues and things that are happening to our folks all over the country, all over the world. It's not the next step in DC. And I say that to say back to Chocolate City. So there's a, there is a rise of Chocolate City, right? Chocolate City was for a very long time predominantly African-American. And I don't usually use that word, so I don't know why I just use it. Probably because I'm talking about Africa. Sorry. I told you this was going to be about reflection. Um, but here in DC, when I'm out on the corners, because that's where I spend all my time, with young black folks, and you see them, we stopped, we didn't use to post the whole videos of police interactions because people would be like, oh, the, but the kids, they were just so disrespectful and they were cussing at the police and they were doing all of these things. And finally I said, because they're angry. Every day I sat out there and I said, oh my gosh, these police are literally coming three to four times a day to illegally stop and frisk the same guys so that we're looking at their records. They have 23, ar 23 arrests and no convictions, no charges, they were all dropped. Because it's a intimidation tactic and then people are like, why are they standing outside on the street all day? Don't they have jobs? Don't they have opportunities? Doesn't matter if you have 23 arrests. It's just doesn't matter. And so we said it's important for people to see this is the way young folks are revolting. They are not going to just sit there. And you know what? It's not their responsibility to be nice. They don't get paid to be nice, right? Not saying that cops get paid to be nice, but also like if you've been entrusted with a gun, gonna need a cuss word not make you mad enough to beat somebody up. Just gonna need that not to be the case, right? And so in DC, what we're gonna see this year, because it's probably in 12 years, some of the most like dynamic organizing and people really just being like, nah, nah, not anymore. is saying that whether it's affordable housing, which by the way, we couldn't get Muriel Bowser 11 years ago to say the words, literally. That was our entire campaign, was to get council members to say the words affordable housing. They would not say it. We wanted them to put on a cape too. But we're like, hey, you don't have to put on the cape if you say affordable housing. The only person who ever did was Kwame Brown, like 10 years ago. Um, but now today, people are willing to, we chased out buses in Anacostia because they have these buses where you say, hey, we're gonna pay $50 for this seat on this bus. It was the Washington Business Journal. And we're gonna go see all these new places where building, you know, there's building opportunities. And so they take these buses of people we call them safari rides because I don't know why else you would be going through the projects in a bus to look. And we literally shut them down and made them back out of Anacostia. Um, because that's what it's gonna take. Like, you're not, it's not gonna be more peaceful because we have uh, Whole Foods, Wegmans. Although we do have a food desert, but at what cost? But at what cost? So I say that to say is like, this year, what does that mean for us? This year, what does that mean for us individually, for our communities, for our families? And it means doing like a intense inventory internally and saying like, what can I do? What am I not doing enough of? And just do it. Like I think we've done the hey, we've had surge for a really long time. Love surge, like 
if you don't know, BLM DC started Search DC because we were like, hey guys, this is a lot. Um, but this year, what can you do? Plug in. Like the days of being like sit with uh, all of these things and just sit with them is over. Like the world as we know it needs people who are willing to stand up and do what they can. And I'll be honest that sometimes that is just showing up. Sometimes that is stopping your family members from saying crazy things. Like it still is. I mean, there's a lot of people in the world. There's 700,000 people in DC. If 700,000 people in DC, let's say 300,000 people gave a dollar to local organizing, you would see the landscape of DC shift overnight. Because the things we don't have are resources. And sometimes resources look like we're trying to save a black owned business in Nooks. Somebody knows how to do that. We don't. Maybe you have expertise. Maybe you know how to get new spaces. Um, so it's in looking at what's going on and how you can plug in and just plug in. Don't take over. <laughs> don't, don't take over. I mean, these aren't things that we can't comprehend. There are spaces that we haven't been in to be the leaders of. That's all that is. Um, so I, I want to thank you. I'm pretty sure I feel like I'm going way over time. Um, but um, I want to thank you all for letting me like share and reflect on some of these things. Um, and I hope you all plug in and thanks for having me, I appreciate it.
for sharing your reflections, your wisdom, but also really where your heart is right now, um, which was just really beautiful. And thank you, Chorus. We're gonna all stop sniffling, which is usually what I do after that song. This is the time in our platform service to add your voices. Um, and I want to invite you, inspired by the invitation to plug in, um, instead of offering a um, reflection about what you think, I want to invite you, if you'd like, for the next couple of moments to share a commitment that you would like to make. You might invite someone to come and make that commitment with you, or you might just share something that you're hoping to do. How are you hoping to plug in in, um, in the next couple of weeks and months in the work that there is to do in the city or around the country or the world? I give you a minute to think about that. <laughs> Hi, I'm Karen. My preferred pronoun or 